0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us at Back to the Bible Canada. As we continue our current series, Christmas Conversations, we'll be interviewing Pastor Margaret Jones, who will talk about the Incarnation. So let's listen now as we join Dr. John Newfeld.
1: Hi, Dr. John Newfeld here, and it's uh, Christmas Conversations, and we're having a whole week of just talking to various pastors About the meaning of Christmas and some themes around Christmas. And I'm just delighted. I've got uh, Pastor Mark Jones here with me today. And uh, Pastor Mark, welcome, first of all, to Back to the Bible. We want to get to know you a little bit before we talk about the Incarnation. Uh, But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Pastor Mark, when did you
2: come to know Christ? It was my first year at the University of Wisconsin Madison. I was on a soccer scholarship there. And uh, when life should have been. Uh, great. It actually wasn't, and I turned to the Lord there through uh, a tape ministry from South Africa, and since then I've been serving the Lord uh, for about uh, 15 years now. Wow, that's great. And you've been, uh, you have been—you are an American, are you? No, I grew up in Victoria, B.C., born in South Africa, but uh, went to America just for the uh, university experience.
1: Right. Now you're back home and you're pastoring a church in uh,
2: Vancouver. So what is the name of the church that you pastor? Uh, Faith Vancouver Presbyterian Church. It's in uh, the southeast side of Vancouver. Right. So it's a a
1: Vancouver urban congregation. Yes. Uh, And I think that you're a bit of an anomaly, at least in Canadian terms. You are both a pastor, but you're a theologian and an author at the same time. And I have in my hand a book called Knowing Christ, which is all about, I think, the attributes of Christ. Um, You also, I have another book on my bookshelf, which is all about Puritan theology. And so you have uh, a number of other books that you've written as well?
2: Yes, uh, a few, few books. Uh, usually they have something to do with either Christ or the Puritans. Uh, so that's my main area of interest.
1: Yeah, yeah. So some of our listeners might not know who that is, the Puritans. Uh, we're not going to discuss that today, but I would really commend uh, the book on Puritan theology to anyone who wants to, wants to take up some deeper reading. So we are here to talk about the Incarnation. And that's a big word, so let's start with that. Um, when you use the word incarnation, and we hear it at Christmas time, tell me what you mean when you say that.
2: Well, it's a very interesting word in the sense that it takes a, a, what is a Latin word, carne, uh, and you could really say it, it's the infleshment, uh, carne, uh, meaning flesh, and so it's the infleshment of the Son of God, and that's really what we mean by the Incarnation. So when we speak about the Incarnation, are we always speaking about the two natures
1: of Christ? Help us out with that.
2: Yes. When we speak of the Incarnation, we always have in view the God-Man, Jesus Christ, fully divine, fully human.
1: Right. And some of us have difficulty coming to terms with that. Um, we wonder exactly what we're talking about. How can one man be both man and God at the same time? So let me try some practical questions, and maybe we'll get into this more deeply. But here's a practical question, and that is, when Jesus faced temptation, did he
2: face temptation as God-man or as man or as God? Help me out with that. Well, everything that he did, uh, whether it was his preaching, uh, whether it was performing miracles, his death— Uh, We always say he does as the God-man. And what we mean by that is that the uh, person is always the the one person who lives according to uh, each nature doing what is proper to that nature. So God cannot be tempted. So Christ was tempted according to his human nature. Uh, We don't say that the human nature in the abstract was tempted nor do we say that the divine nature uh, was not tempted. We say that Christ was tempted according to his human nature. So help me
1: out with that, and now let's talk about a number of other incidences in the life of Jesus. So spell that out for me. What are we looking at? Uh, We've talked about the temptation, but I think that people often will ask a question regarding Jesus' statement that he did not know the day or the hour of his second coming. Does he not know that as God, or does he not know that as man, or are the two natures not communicating with each other? I'm getting complicated here, yeah. but let's talk
2: about that. Yeah, that's a great question, and one I have to answer frequently when I teach courses on Christology. Uh, the, the, there's no uh, short and easy way to say uh, what is right and wrong on this matter, but I will say this much. Uh, when he did not know Uh, the day or hour. At that point in time, according to his human nature, it had not been revealed to him. And I think one of the problems Christians have is they sort of think of Jesus as a superman. He's not really a man. He's not really God. He's something in the middle. Whereas the scriptures leave us in no doubt that according to his human nature, uh, he had real limitations. There were certain things he did not know. There were certain things he could not do. And that was all dependent upon the Father revealing those things to him through the Holy Spirit, not upon Christ uh, cheating, so to speak, by relying upon his own divine nature. Wow. Now, we've, we've got a lot to talk about. Yeah. So if
1: Christ doesn't know certain things, so I think what you're going to say to me when he says to, was it Philip in the book of John, I saw you when you were under the tree... Uh, that was revealed to him by the Father, he would not have seen him
2: as God. Am I right? Uh, Absolutely. I think that uh, what we find in the life of Christ is that when he uh, performed miracles, for example, in Matthew 12, it was uh, Christ saying, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God— uh, when he was led into the wilderness in his temptation, when he was baptized, his incarnation, uh, even his death in Hebrews 9.14, that he offered himself up by the Spirit, everything that Christ did according to his human nature was done by the power of the Spirit and the Father revealing things to him through the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. So now this happens, and so now I've got to ask myself a
1: question about how Christ functioned then as God because we often say at Christmas time, and here we are at Christmas, so we'll say that he left his throne of glory. Uh, Did Jesus leave his throne of
2: glory? Because as God, he can't leave anywhere. He's everywhere at the same time, isn't he? Yeah, another great question. I think the easy answer to that is he left his throne of glory in the sense that at the incarnation when the Son of God assumed a human nature, that person the god man in a sense is uh, according to his human nature away from the father whereas in another sense according to his divine nature he fills all things and inhabits the places of eternity so uh, the language just has to be qualified by what is meant
1: now let's just talk for a little while because we've been talking theology rather than where do we find this stuff in the bible because this is heady language we're talking about on the one hand He inhabits all things. There's always present all places, which we call, you know, the omnipresence of God. But at the same time, Pastor Mark, you know, he's only in
2: one place at one time. And I have a hard time putting that together. I'm sure other people do as well. Yeah, the fancy theological term historically has been called the extra calvinisticum. And what that means is that uh, while we may say that in Christ, the God-man, God is fully present United to the human nature, he is not simply contained in that human being, but he fills all things. And we have to really be able to make sense of the Bible in all that it says about Christ, not only his divinity, but his humanity, where he grew in wisdom and in knowledge with both God and man in Luke 2.52, where he offered up loud cries and tears, where he he learned obedience through the things he suffered. We have to be able to make sense of those passages without, uh, in some way, harming the divine nature or taking away from the human nature.
1: Well, you mentioned a number of passages, so let's use that Hebrews passage that you talked about, that he learned obedience by what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. He had to learn how to be obedient. But when I think about learning how to be obedient, well, I think about making mistakes and errors and being disobedient and having to overcome my disobedience But that's not his
2: experience, is it? No, absolutely not. But he still nevertheless, through being taught by his father, in Isaiah chapter 50, it's the third servant song, we read that morning by morning he was awoken to be taught by his father. And as he was taught by his father, he came to have to submit himself each day afresh, so to speak, to the father's will. And by being obedient day after day, he proved himself to be the obedient son. Uh Aha. So... This learning and growing, which we're going to come back to after
1: the break, Pastor Mark, is really a part of the Christmas story because when the child is found in the manger, I mean many of us have heard the song, Mary, did you know, you know that your baby, you know when you've kissed the face of your baby, you've kissed the face of God. But that little baby was functioning just like any other human baby in one sense, right? Yes, in one sense, absolutely. Okay, so we're going to come back to that and talk about how Jesus actually grew and became a man and became the author of our salvation. Thank you so much.
0: This Christmas, we're answering an important question. Why Back to the Bible Canada? For 58 years, we've established a legacy to teach God's Word without compromise and confront Canadians with the truth about Jesus Christ. We're driven by a passion for the Bible, and we're wholly committed to telling more people about who God is and what His Word has to say. We know that the time for declaring biblical truth in our country is now, and we need your help today. Would you stand with us and give a gift of any amount towards our fiscal year-end goal? We're working to raise $390,000 by December 31st and depending upon you to help us reach it. You can donate online at backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. Thanks so much in advance for your support. And now let's go back to Dr. John Newfeld with Pastor Mark Jones. <music>
1: Well, we're getting back to the subject of Jesus as a little baby and what the incarnation actually means. And during the break, Pastor Mark, we were just talking about the hymn by Martin Luther, Away to Manger. And a part of the lines in that hymn is, No crying he makes. And you're telling me that's a problem, right?
2: Yes. I think if we're going to uh, admit, as we should, that Christ was uh, truly human, he also was truly human according to each stage in his life. So as a baby, the most natural response for him would have been to cry, not in a sinful way, but in a way of need uh, to be fed, so to speak. There's nothing inherently wrong with crying, uh, especially as we get older and we are grieved, Uh, but even when we're babies and we need to eat. So uh, I've always been a little bit uncomfortable with that. I understand uh, the sentiment in one respect, but I also think we can miss something of his true humanity.
1: So he experiences infancy, as we do. Um, I'm going to ask you a difficult question, I think. If he has to learn and grow just the way we do, when does he learn that he's the Son of God, or does he do that? Does he always know that?
2: Yeah, and I think in one respect we we have some mystery here, but in another respect uh, I think he learned of his life through the scriptures, that he came to a, a growing awareness of his calling, of who he was uh, through reading the scriptures. And, and it must have been an amazing thing for him to read the Psalms, for example, to understand that his own life story is unfolding before him uh, through the Holy Spirit, through his father's teaching in whatever way that would have happened. Uh, there are various means by which I think he would have come to know who he was and what God's plan for him was in this world. Right, so let's move forward now from his infancy, which is the Christmas story,
1: to that incident in the temple, and he's uh you know speaking with the you know religious leaders there, and he's asking them questions. Um, can you talk about that interplay between human and divine in that encounter?
2: I think the human nature again uh, is is the key where he has been taught by his father we see that as i mentioned earlier in isaiah chapter 50 morning by morning he teaches me he's been taught by his father he's had the finest theological training we can conceive of because here we have a man who is without sin a man who is indwelt fully by the holy spirit who's been taught by his father so even in his teaching you see this beautiful trinitarian emphasis coming out uh, so that even at the age of 12, uh, he would have been the greatest theologian uh, who's ever lived. So him asking questions, uh, it would have been a quite a sight to have seen the types of questions he asked. And, uh, and they may have even been the types of questions where he did know the answer and he was um, finding out how much Israel's teachers knew. Uh, we don't know for certain, but I certainly think that at the age of 12, he would have had large portions of God's word memorized, if not uh, the whole thing.
1: Now let's move forward to to his baptism, and uh, there he is being baptized, and of course we have that that Trinitarian formula. The son is there, Uh, the father speaks from heaven, the spirit comes as a dove. Um, What is the significance of his baptism to the incarnation?
2: The significance of the baptism to his incarnation is God's sort of approving stamp that he places upon his son. Uh, This isn't the first time the Father has been well-pleased with him, but it is uh, what we know as the first public uh, declaration by the Father where he says, I am well-pleased with him. So uh, we have what is a a visible, audible, public stamping of approval upon the Son of God, Uh, and that incidentally becomes very valuable for us as Christians because when we are baptized, when we are in union with Jesus Christ, those words said by the Father actually become true of us, that right. we are his children in whom he is also well pleased. Uh-huh. Because our lives are hidden in him. Yes. Yeah. Well
1: now, we, have, we moved his baptism to his public ministry, but I wonder if I can now move us to that Philippians passage in Philippians chapter two, and if you would help us through that passage, uh, even though he was fully God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, um, but made himself nothing. And then there's, of course, that very interesting passage of he emptied himself. So help us through
2: that. Um, what is Paul expressing about incarnation there? Well, he's he first tells us that we are to imitate this. This is uh, an area of our own Christian life that we imitate. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. or Uh, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus in the NIV. Um, What he's doing is a high, low, high movement uh, that in uh, Christ, who was in very nature God, high, did not account quality with God. Something to be uh, exploited would be another way of putting it. He did not exploit his divine nature, but made himself nothing. Everything that he did was free, uh, and everything he did was something that he was not coerced to do and became a servant, and God, as a result, rewards him for his life of service, which was death, yes, even death on a cross. So what you find is a high-low-high movement, and we, as beggars, as sinners, who simply receive from the hand of God, we need to find ourselves also in that low area of humility so that God may, in the future, raise us up like he did with his son, Jesus Christ.
1: Now, he's fully equal with God but Paul says that he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. So I'm trying to understand that in relationship to how Christ conducts his ministry. So he's not grasping a hold of his position. Help me with that.
2: It comes back to what I was saying earlier regarding his divine nature. Does Christ depend upon his divine nature to do miracles, to know things, etc., or is he depending upon the Father who pours out the Holy Spirit upon him to do these things. So uh, what I believe and what many good theologians have said in the past is that Christ did not cheat, so to speak, by depending upon his divine nature. So when we say that it was not something to be grasped or not something to be exploited, we're saying that he did not make use of his own resources but rather was fully dependent upon the Father's resources through the Spirit for everything that he did during his life on earth. And it's, that really marks out the true servant.
1: Now, do you find that when you teach this, Pastor Mark, are people surprised to hear this? Because I'm going to say to you that a lot of people think he did cheat. I mean, he's God. That's why he is the way he is. That's why he's perfect the way that he is. So they don't anticipate a view of Jesus that struggles with temptation, knows how painful it is to submit his own will to the will of the Father. I'm describing Jesus the way he's found in the Bible, am I?
2: Well, you're 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 really uh, absolutely correct. People do find it a little bit shocking at first when they hear it, but then they start to warm to the idea based upon the fact that it's thoroughly biblical. But at the same time, uh, we're dealing with a Savior who we have no idea what he went through for us. We have no idea how painful it was. We have no idea what it must have been like for him to offer up prayers with loud cries and tears. This was no um, just show. It was intense agony. It was an intense emotional experience for him, and uh, that makes me love him and worship him all the more knowing how difficult it was for him.
1: Now let's take all of this conversation back to the Christmas event again. So Christ is now a baby, but of course he begins to grow, and as he grows... I mean, one of the lessons he learns is, as Luke tells us, he became obedient to his parents. Um, I think both you and I know that it's not easy to be obedient to our parents, and Jesus didn't have perfect parents. Am I right with that? Absolutely. So Mary was not sinless, as far as we (laughs) know. No, absolutely not. Very good. So, so he's got these parents that are less than perfect, and what would his experience have been like? I mean, I'm I'm taking to what you've already told me about his baptism, that the father looks at his life at his, as it's progressed up to this moment and he puts his stamp of approval on this. And he says he's well-pleased with the way the son has lived his life. So in your view,
2: Jesus' childhood, how would he have encountered that? You, you raise a very good point, and this highlights something that all Christians can learn from, is that Christ was able to obey his parents, imperfect as they were, though he was the perfect one. He was able to obey them, not firstly because they were good or nice or kind people, though they were, uh, but he was able to obey imperfect parents because he first placed his trust and obedience in his father, who asked him to obey his parents. So for him, it was a delight, not simply because he loved his mother and father, but because he loved his eternal heavenly father, and that makes all the difference in our own Christian lives as we live. Do we live first and foremost for God, or do we live first and foremost for others? Yes, and he learned to
1: live first and foremost for God, and he learned
2: that in the way that you and I learned that. I think that's what we're saying. Yes, is that it was, uh, in some respects, entirely natural uh, for him to Uh, commune with his father, be taught by his father, pray to his father, enjoy his father, and that becomes the paradigm for our own lives where we do so, except that we do so in the name of Jesus Christ now. Yes, yes, we do it by his power. Yes. Uh, And by his example, I think, as well. Do we not Mm -hmm. say that? Yeah, and I think that's what Philippians 2 is getting at, is that he does not only uh, redeem us, but he provides an example for us. Pastor Mark, thank you for this wonderful insight. Into the nature of Jesus and what his own experience was like. Oh, it was great to, great to talk with you about these things. God bless you.
0: Want to escape the hustle and bustle of the holiday season? Well, look no further than the Laugh Again Christmas Tour, which is taking place right now across Canada. For only $10, you and your friends can have a wonderful evening of laughter, inspiration, and music. Get into the Christmas spirit with the help of author and humorist Phil Calloway, who will delight audiences and share a meaningful message for the Christmas season. Enjoy inspirational music by award-winning guitar artist Jay Calder, and we'll have the added bonus of hearing from our ministry partner, Compassion Canada, the great work that's being done in the lives of children right around the world. This is our second year for the Laugh Again Christmas Tour because the response was so fantastic last Christmas. So we invite your family, friends, coworkers, spouses, children of all ages to the Laugh Again Christmas Tour. There'll be an event happening tomorrow, Wednesday, December 2nd in Winnipeg, Manitoba at 7 p.m. at Grant Memorial Baptist Church. You can also attend the event on Thursday, December 3rd in Winkler at 7 p.m. at EMMC or Friday, December 4th in Winnipeg at 7 p.m. at Eastview Community Church. You can buy your tickets online at laughagain.ca or at the door. And for more information, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425. I look forward to seeing you there.